Welcome back to the Shema podcast, my friends. Before we begin, I want to dedicate this episode in the merit of Alexandra Coleman for full recovery of her health in the health of her son. May they both continue to grow strong and thrive. My friends, I have some amazing guests to bring on. Before I do, though, I want to set the stage a little bit before I bring these amazing people on. And I just want to tell you, after this last week, I am so focused, inspired, driven, and really been in an amazing state of joy. I know a lot of you are probably thinking like, I get it. And some of you are thinking like, Dan, are you not watching the news? How could you be in a state of joy right now? But it depends on how you look at what's going on around the world. If you look at it through the lens of Torah, which is what brings clarity to the world around us, then there's reasons to get very excited, especially when you hear about what my guests have been up to. But if you don't look at it through the lens of Torah and you are brought up in a world where you are void of Torah knowledge, things look chaotic. And there's just a deep yearning for things just to return to normal. Just get rid of the anti-Semitism. Let me go back to my life the way it was, where I could pursue material abundance, enjoying the pleasures of the world, and just live my life. Focus on sports, politics, my Instagram account, all those things. But my friends, that's really, truly deep down, not what you're looking for. And I will tell you, the status quo that you want to return to will not happen. But I think in order to give you and everyone a proper lens of Torah, I want to discuss this idea of anti-Semitism again. It's been brought up in the podcast over the years. I've had Rabbi Yokoff will be on to discuss it. I think now the idea is going to resonate a lot more. If you look at anti-Semitism, it is so irrational. I mean, if you study sociology, it's like when it comes to Jewish people, there's an entirely different set of roles that govern us. And the reason for that is because when we receive the Torah at Mount Sinai, the contractual obligation, and really what it was, was a kasuba, a wedding contract between the Almighty and the Jewish people came with responsibilities, responsibilities to rectify the world. I know a lot of people, and I'm a sci-fi fan, think that the future just will hold the same set of circumstances with evil people doing evil things, everyone not really sure or not acknowledgement of a creator's existence. And that all that will change is we'll, we'll have cooler technology, but it's not the case, my friends. That's not why he gave us the Torah. The purpose of the Jew fulfilling the Torah is to remove the veil between the physical realm and the spiritual realm and to create an environment where our creator is known and he is revealed and he is our king. And when we received that contractual obligation, what Hashem also brought into the world is anti-Semitism. Because anti-Semitism is what will preserve the Jewish people. And let me explain. It seems counterintuitive. Why does having everyone hate us preserve us? Well, let's go back you know, a little over 100 years ago to Germany. You, know, you had Jews flourishing in Germany. They're reaching the upper levels of government, academia, science, all the professions, flourishing, doing extremely well. Like, what could go wrong? And then we had the, the advent of... Judaism, with many, becoming a religion. And they just said, look, if we're going to live here peacefully with our German brothers and sisters, we need to be more like them. And so you had the synagogues, many synagogues, they reformat them to look like churches, where 
instead of a bunch of Jews showing up with their sitters and just getting in contemplative davening and praying and then learning Torah, they just became an audience member listening to a rabbi give a sermon. They actually moved Shabbos to Sunday just to be like everyone else. I mean, if we can just be like everyone else, they'll, they'll all love us. You know, they got rid of circumcision. Matter of fact, they also, in their sitters, they took out the word Jerusalem and they placed in Berlin. Now, if you had brought all the top academic sociologists, the professors, and said, how's this going to look? They'll say, okay, this is going to work out great because they're totally intertwined with the fabric of their host nation. So they'll just intertwine with them and live in peace and harmony forever. And of course, we know that's not what happened because the reason Hashem had to introduce anti-Semitism is because what would have happened if things were left alone? There'd be no Jewish people to preserve. We would just have integrated and intertwined with the rest of the nations. And he can't let that happen. And when I look at things like what he had the Nazis tell us and what he has Hamas telling us and Hezbollah and all these people around the globe, what are they saying to us now? They're saying, we don't care whether you're a Jew that keeps Torah, whether you're a Jew that doesn't keep Torah, whether you're politically right or politically left, we don't care. You're all just Jews and we hate you. And Hashem's saying the same thing. He's saying, you're all just Jews, but I love you and I, and I want you back. And I think, you know, one of the challenges we have now is that to no fault of our own is that many of us were brought up in just total ignorance of Taurus. We don't understand these things. You know, and even more than that, even more than broadening up void of Torah knowledge is that we all have a Yetzirah. And the job of the Yetzirah, we discuss this a lot, is at the beginning stages is to cause distraction, just distract a Jew away from questioning and asking, what is the purpose of life? Is it really just to get some very basic level Sunday school learning, have a big blowout bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah party. And then after that, just light Hanukkah candles without understanding the message of Hanukkah, which is if you don't assimilate and you fight it, I will perform miracles for you. And then you show up for a Passover Seder that's been sadly sort of turned into a Passover themed family dinner party. You know, I saw a lot of this Back in 2019, this is why I started the podcast, my friends. I'll, I'll tell you what I started for every my guest on, is that you know I was reading when you study the story of the Exodus, which is throughout the Sitter. It's there for a very important reason. The reason we go over it over a Passover Seder is because it's teaching us the format of the final redemption, because everything follows that exact same protocol. And you know, one of the things the commentaries read is that during the ninth plague, 80 percent of the Jews died. And the reason they died is because they were thinking like, I don't want to go with Moses out in the desert. I mean, we're not slaves anymore. We have financial abundance. Egypt is the most opulent city. I just want to chill out here and enjoy this financial prosperity. And what Hashem was telling them was, no, my friends, you're the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you have a unique mission that I need you to fulfill. And if you don't want to fulfill that, you don't serve a role in my creation. And it never really impacted me emotionally. You know, I, I read it and I was just like, okay, I get it. But I'll tell you what brought me to tears and what got me to do the podcast. It was Shabbos, back when I was living in King, when I was experiencing Shabbos by myself, and I was reading a prophecy in the Zohar. And the Zohar says on that Parsha, it says that during the final redemption, when Mashiach comes, just like Moses came, all these things unfold, that 80% of the Jews will not want to go towards Hashem and they will perish as well. That, my friends, brought me to deep tears. I literally sobbed in my office all Shabbos, waiting for it to be over. And when it was over, I called 
Rabbi Yokoff will be. And I told him what I had read. And I asked him, I said, does this prophecy have to come true? And he said, the rule is, if it's a positive prophecy, yes. If it's a negative prophecy like this, then no, we have the power to change that. And that's why I launched the podcast. In order to make sure this prophecy does not happen, to do my part as much as I can do to wake up as many Jews as possible so they understand what their Torah is telling them, what their vital mission is in this world. My friends, it's not to just enjoy material pleasures and entertainment and just absolute distraction. That is not what the role of the Jew is. And I just want to do my part to get as many Jews as possible to see that. My philosophy this time around, it's not 20% make it. It's not 30%. It's not 40%. It's all of us make it. No man left behind this time around, not on my watch. And there's a couple of things that sort of unfolded in 2020 as well, which built my resolve more to do the podcast is that with the advent of COVID, I saw something happening that Hashem was orchestrating. One is that this idea of God that Pharaoh believed in was a God that created the world, but is not involved with it. And when Moses introduced the idea that, no, I'm talking about the aspect of Hashem, the Yudke Vavke that is intimately involved in all our affairs, he did not know that God. And when we say the Shema, we're saying Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem is one that both aspects of God are who God is. But I know that the majority of Jews out there believe that there's a God that created the world, but he's not intimately involved in our affairs. And therefore, according to Rabbi Nachman, that's idolatry to not believe that he's both those things. And when I saw the COVID virus come out, I saw that Jews can either choose to live in the reality that everything is Hashem and only something happens to them if Hashem determines it to be so. If Hashem has to authorize something to happen to us, only then will it happen. And when they live in that world, they're under his divine protection. But if a Jew decides to live in a world where in the illusion, not the reality, but the illusion that everything's just a result of nature and random acts of events, then he says, then that's the world you'll live in. So I saw so many freak out by this virus, not knowing that if they just had the mindset that nothing will happen to me unless Hashem decrees it to be so, then, and they were living in the world that everything was just random, it really got them and they felt like a total loss of control. And, and one more thing too, is that, you know, I saw something else happening as everyone became isolated during 2020 because of COVID. I knew what was going to happen. I knew it. So I, I got a bunch of Haggadahs I ordered from Art Scroll and started sending them out to people because I knew that Hashem was testing all of us to see, are you fulfilling the mitzvah of Passover because of me to fulfill my will and connect with me? Or is it just a family get together? And when they couldn't get together with their family, even though I sent out Haggadahs to everyone, sadly, so many Jews I know did not celebrate Pesach that year. But we all have the ability to, to change this. And I think that's what's happening right now in shaking things up is that Hashem is giving us a wake up. And I see Jews getting impacted by it. I see so many of my friends out there getting Jews to put on tefillin. Everyone's doing more mitzvos. They're studying more Torah, giving more tzedakah. It's invigorating me, inspiring me. And I, and I want that to be the outcome of this podcast. Know that you do have control over it. 
Everything is first won on a spiritual battle before it's run on the physical side of things. So my friends, let me introduce my guests. No further waiting. I have with me Lieutenant Joe Mabry and Specialist Solomon Coleman. And Solomon, I also refer to as my beloved, sweet, amazing nephew. And they are soldiers for the Texas Army National Guard, my friends, but they're also soldiers in Hashem's army. And I think when you look at what they've been doing and accomplishing, I think it will inspire all of us to step up our game here and know what our role is in this battle that's been going on for so much time now and that we all serve a vital part in. Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories, as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars, demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I want to thank you for having us. Uh, again, my name is Lieutenant Mabry. I'm really excited to get to be here with you and talk about some of the things we've been able to do. But I also want to say that our views represent our own views and experiences, not that of the DOD and the military. And we're really excited to talk about the spiritual work we've been doing here in Kosovo. Beautiful. Amazing. All right. Let's start off with what you're doing in Kosovo. So we're part of a K-432 Operation Joint Guardian, which is a NATO mission in order to create a safe and secure environment and freedom of movement for all people here in Kosovo. This has always been a National Guard rotation for many years. So we basically support the local people here and their self-governance and support peace and security operations. Amazing. So Lieutenant Mabry, talk a little bit about your, your background before joining the Texas Army National Guard and how long you've been with them. And I'll have Solomon do the same as well. Sure. So I'm uh, originally from Houston, Texas as well. Myerland area, Jewish community there. Went to uh, Bel Air High School. I uh, was very involved with BBYO. I was on the Lone Star Region BBYO board and uh, stayed very involved with Hillel at the University of Texas, Austin and UT San Antonio. I've also been a, a World Jewish Congress inaugural Ronald S. Lauder Fellow. So I've been very involved in the community kind of throughout my my time, my young adult life. And I've really enjoyed every bit of that. Uh, before starting university, I took a gap year with City Year AmeriCorps. So I taught uh, fifth grade English in the South Bronx with an educational program for graduating and commissioning at the University of Texas degree in government. So that kind of is what brought me to the infantry branch and uh, the Texas Army National Guard. Amazing. Solomon, introduce yourself as well and a little bit about your background. As you said, my name is Solomon, and my background is mainly just blue-collar work. I worked in HVAC for about six years installing AC systems before I transitioned over to working in solar as a uh, plant set designer, mostly designing electrical and structural interconnection for residential systems. And growing up, I did not have too much involvement in the Jewish community until I kind of gained adulthood and more self-awareness. And throughout, I would say from about 2020 onward, I've just been steadily delving more into the Jewish community and educating myself. Let's talk a little bit more now about what you've been doing with your fellow Jewish soldiers to, and I'll just sort of shut up and let you guys talk because it's it's pretty uh, amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I think you, you mentioned two things already, which I'll bring up, which is we're very proud to be American and Jewish service members. So we're only part of the 
United States Army and very proud of that. And I think the reality of serving in the, the United States Armed Forces is we support mostly secular Jewish community members. Uh, so, so that's a large factor in sort of our service here, which fits with my background at Texas LL and kind of with BYO starting with more secular people. I, I volunteered for a additional duty. It's called the Distinctive Religious Group Leader. So through the U.S. Army Chaplain, I volunteered to be the spiritual leader for the Jewish community since we don't have a Jewish chaplain in our formation. Very few Jewish chaplains in the United States military. So the way that the Army responds to that is the chaplain in our chain of command can approve a volunteering Jewish service member to lead that community with an endorsement. So I'm endorsed by a congregation of Gouda Sahim in Austin, Texas, where I taught some religious school. And that kind of gives me some ability to run Jewish services and participate in the Jewish community here. So talking to that some, I think I've always been really impressed with the chaplain course. It's something people don't always understand about their jobs. It's Their job isn't to minister for their denomination exclusively. Their job is to facilitate religious life for all their service members. So uh, every chaplain supports us in doing that. Uh, Jewish chaplains support Christian and Muslim service members support all denominations and supporting their spiritual readiness. So as part of the Army's uh, holistic health program, and they have five pillars of holistic health, one of which includes spiritual readiness, commands make it a priority to support the religious diversity promised by the First Amendment and our ability to support a strong spiritual life. And that doesn't just include uh, secular Judaism. We've got multiple different levels of observance, uh, observance throughout our ranks. We've got some secular Jews, Orthodox Jews, uh, just ever, but the main goal isn't to focus on what sets us apart. It's to just try to create a place where everyone can come together on Shabbos and study the Parsha, study Torah, and make sure that we're observing in accordance with our beliefs every week and bring that to our lives. Yeah, I think one of the cooler parts about the communities we've had here is that we've brought together uh, three nationalities Polish Jews and NATO partnerships. Uh, we've brought together local civilians who are actually also from Houston, Orthodox community members, and have been able to make services that meet everyone's spiritual needs. Uh, the reality, though, is a lot of service members don't have a lot of Jewish education, don't have a lot of Jewish familiarity with Torah Parsha's prayers, our methods of study, and are probably closer to uh, what we call Jewish, to practicing and on the more religious side of the spiritual spectrum in Judaism. Mainly what we do is try to give them that fundamental toolbox of Judaism, supporting their spiritual welfare and creating an inclusive space where they can learn as well. So even having uh, medical doctors here on our post who are sons of rabbi studying in yeshiva and has a very good traditional Jewish education to someone who has a Jewish parent, doesn't know a lot about the faith and doesn't know the Shema yet. We have to practice the Shema with them. We have that full spectrum and I think one of the most enjoyable things about our community, the, the 10 to 15 Jews we bring together uh, on this post, is still having a lot of cohesion and joy in creating positive Jewish life uh, on our post and in our area. That is so amazing. So tell me, what's the impact been like for all these Jews, all these diverse backgrounds coming together, unifying, and learning tour together on Shabbos? Personally, I think it's been a really positive impact into all of our not just spiritual lives but personalized lives because it gives us all something like hey we know friday night six o'clock we're all going to be able to get together and kind of take a, a 
a breather from our week. It's a time when we can relax after everyone's been working hard and not just get out of our systems the, the stress of the week, but also focus on something other than, you know, what we've been doing for the past five days. Yeah, I would say there are two or three major impacts I'm proud of, which is, you know, we still support military operations, including our uh, more orthodox community members. So we, we are always to are always able to observe and uh, the ways that people would like to. But we do always get to bring a spirit of Shabbos and community and stronger Jewish life together. And I think that's had multiple positive impacts on Getting to mix with a crowd that's not your normal work colleagues, it's very nice kind of get away from the stresses of work and sort of set a tone of spiritual relaxation and readiness. I think getting the opportunity to engage in intellectual and spiritual conversations, teach and learn in the ways that are so important to our tradition is always a joy. And I'd also say just getting to be a part of the community, have that be supported by all of our command teams and our greater military community has made me uh, more prideful as an American service member who's had a, we've had pretty much unlimited support in our services, supporting getting, you know, kosher wine for our practices, challah bread. We've had a lot of different entities provide a lot of support. And I think that's something that's unique to being an American service member that is, would not be experienced in necessarily every uh, NATO partner's experience. That's incredible. You know, one of the things that, you know, I, I try to do on this podcast by meeting people and like bringing people to our community is bridging the gap between people with different diverse backgrounds. I had David Block on here on the last couple episodes, sort of coming from a reform background, spending time in our in our Orthodox community and then going back and you know, there's there's a lot of always misconceptions. I know one thing that Hashem wants more than anything is the Jews to be unified and not bickering with one another. I mean, you think about it, the news out of Israel over a month ago was arguing with each other over politics and BB's decision to take away power from the courts. Everyone was against each other, but now they're all unified. And that's the one thing that makes God really pleased. It's one of the reasons he kicked us out of the second temple. We were following the Torah, but we were all just speaking with Shon Haral, bickering with one another. He does not like that. And so here you are, you bring these Jews together from these unique backgrounds, giving them a chance to understand each other. Because I know guys who were brought up from from birth don't understand a secular Jew and then vice versa. When you get past that and see, you know, all the negative maybe connotations, what the other one's like, and bring them together, it's it's a very beautiful thing and it brings unity. And that's something that uh, I think we all have a mission in doing. How has that gone for you as far as introducing secular Jews to people that grew up from an Orthodox world? Talk to that a little bit if you can. Yeah, I think there's a couple things that I want to say on that. First off, I think I'm very lucky at the University of Texas, there's great um, Olami programs and Orthodox community as well. So getting the chance to be neighbors and be around like uh, the Orthodox community in Austin gave me a really great toolbox to be able to connect the more secular Jewish students in the background I'm from and engage with Orthodox programming and community and kind of have a toolbox for that. Something about being with a group of service members is we have a lot more in common than just our faith. So our training, patriotism, commitment to public service, which I think are our shared Jewish values as well as service member values, um, give us a lot to share and build off of as well. But I think 
the main goal and the main thing that I love that the Orthodox community particularly brings is a lot of joy and liveliness to their spirituality and study. I think that's something that you don't always see in the same way in the other communities. So giving our more educated, traditionally educated Jewish community members chances to lead, to teach, to share their love for Judaism through their practice versus I think sometimes it can be overwhelming for newer people trying to learn how to be more observant to find the joy when they're so lost in the study and the questions. So I think coupling those two things is a positive experience for everybody because it's people get to grow in their knowledge and the joyous parts of uh, Judaism. Wonderful. Yeah, well, I, I moved to this community three years ago. I was absolutely unfamiliar with the sitter. And my friends just sort of, they could just look at my eyes and see like, you know, a deer in the headlights and know to come over and help me out. And and since then, I brought friends over and helped them out. But, you know, people that are, are new to it, you know, I have found myself and just other Jews, once they get exposed to Torah and what the prayers are all about, they it sparks a level of enthusiasm that those who were brought up around it didn't necessarily have at first. And it creates creates a lot of synergy. Have you found that as well with your your group there? Yeah, I think I think there's the the old saying that the whole Torah can be found in a single word of Torah. So you can sort of find that in the way that we study and observe, I would say, is uh, taking pieces and chunks of Torah study and prayer and being able to unpack it in ways that are accessible to everybody has been really good. I think Pullman can speak to that as well. But I think not being in a, I think also there's something about being in a lower pressure environment of it being a smaller group. We're all very, uh, connected no matter what we don't everyone's coming back next friday because it's the place to go you don't have a lot of options so we find a lot of a lot of ways to connect and get joy on that i don't know i don't know what's worked best for you so it's for me it's just been great to be able to speak to people who are more knowledgeable than i am and for us to take each one of these lessons and i'm able to ask questions and get answers and debate like freely whenever we don't understand something and we help each other understand better it just, it's been great, especially for people like me who didn't grow up extremely educated in it or educated at all to, to a degree. I was in your same boat, Solomon, don't forget, when I was yeah. your age. So, Lieutenant Maber, did you by chance know Rabbi Trepp from YouTube? Yeah, for sure. So, I did I did a live program with Rabbi Trepp and his community there. So, for sure, big staple in the UT Austin community. I did my birthright trip and Rabbi Trepp was there as well as his Olami trip. So, I spent a little bit of time. Yeshiva with Rabbi Trepp. So he, he's the great example of a, a really good connector of Orthodox and more secular life. And I, I think most uh, people in the community know him in Houston. He brings a very, a very special joy to everything he does in Judaism. It's always a pleasure to get to uh, commune with him in that way. He's incredible. He brings a lot of his students here over a lot of the, the holidays, and it's always very lively. I understand that over Rosh Hashanah, you facilitated another excursion to a, a shul there. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I, this is something I'm really excited about, which was we got the first overnight spiritual resiliency trip approved in all of uh, RC East. So our area in Kosovo, a spiritual resiliency trip is a, a trip designed to help soldiers uh, build a stronger spiritual rapport and fulfill needs that maybe our command can't fulfill. You know, uh, as much as I enjoy leading services, I'm not a rabbi. We don't have a Torah. We don't have a, uh, a lot of things that would be above our ability to keep up with as a you know a small community here. 
So in order to meet our needs, our command team approved a trip from here in Kosovo to Sofia, Bulgaria, and over in, in order to go to that synagogue so we could be with the Torah, hear the shofar, participate with a, a community. And I think it was a very amazing trip for everybody involved. We started um, with a drive to Skopje, Macedonia. So Skopje has a really beautiful Holocaust museum that we got to go to, and they had a Sephardic community for a very long time in that area, as well as some of the earliest synagogues after the fall of the Second Temple, because Alexander the Great was from North Macedonia. So there is a lot of Jewish history there. And then uh, driving up to Sofia, it's probably one of the most beautiful synagogues, bigger synagogues in all of Europe. I think it's modeled more after a mosque. It's probably on the secular side of the things you were talking about earlier, but it's a very beautiful building. And it was a joy to uh, get to uh, be with that community on the high holidays. So it's a shrinking community. But one of the reasons we chose to go to services there was it's one of the places with an older synagogue and a continuous Jewish life. So getting to go be a part of that Vulcan Jewish life and history, which is very different than uh, what we learn about in the States or sort of more of an Israel-oriented education, sort of learning about Vulcan Jewry is uh, different and interesting. And it was a great, it was really a great pleasure. So the rabbi there was an amazing host. It was amazing to meet actually uh, other guys involved in BBYO, BBYO Rising were there. And they, they had a couple hundred uh, Jews and Israelis there for Friday night of Rosh Hashanah, and we were really lucky to come back for Saturday services, get to do an aliyah with the uh, rabbi. I, I think you would really like the story. They have a giant, beautiful cathedral of shul, like main room. It's kind of the famous room of a beautiful mosque-esque synagogue. And then they have a small room that could be the Malian Minion office, very small, like Bima, Ark, Torah, that was the Saturday morning crowd. So seeing the Friday night, hundreds of people fill this beautiful auditorium and, and participate in Rosh Hashanah and hearing the show Bar Blast was very cool, but I really loved bringing everyone back Saturday morning to meet the 20 guys, 15 guys that make up the regular minion there. And in that little small room, get to commune with the Torah and Judaism in the way that's probably like more the cornerstone of, of community. Yeah. I think it's beautiful to, to see both sides of uh, that Rosh Hashanah experience in Sofia. I'm sure for many that was, was that their sort of their first sort of traditional experience of Rosh Hashanah? And if so, what was sort of the their their takeaway from that experience? Yeah, of the 10 of us, uh, sorry, the five or six of us that were there, it was probably their first experience like that for all but me and one other service member. And I think it was a really positive takeaway. I think it's a lot to learn. And the learning curve of your first Orthodox service can be a little bit overwhelming to people, uh, right. especially a holiday service, which which is a, a new experience. But I think one of the nice things about the mix that we had was we were able to brief them on on that sort of thing, the expectations of how long the service will be. There's no English in it, not just because it's a Hebrew service, but if even places where we would have English, they were speaking in Bulgarian. So it was a little, it was a little different. So we used my... Uh, very mediocre Hebrew skills. Uh, and they, there were some people that spoke English, but to get through. So I think, I think it was a lot, but I think setting expectations, knowing that we were going in there to have a positive Jewish experience, get to see and connect with the Torah, hear the shofar blast and sort of giving them some points of reference of like the spiritual things that we're trying to achieve at Rosh Hashanah. So starting the new year, starting the process of atoning 
for Yom Kippur and being in that time. I think giving everyone the spiritual framework of what to be thinking about, even if they don't understand the prayers, is really helpful. And getting them the opportunity and exposure to that, I think, was a positive new experience for everybody. Amazing. And Solomon, tell me about how this has impacted you. Has it changed things as far as your trajectory and your learning by being around this with your your colleagues there in the Texas Army National Guard? I will say throughout my learning, there's been peaks and valleys of, but never a total drop of me trying to make sure that I'm staying on top of my learning. And whenever I'm around people like Lieutenant Mabry who have this knowledge, it really helps me stay just climbing the peak, making sure that I'm on top of it. And it, it really keeps it engaging for me. Um, so stuff like this has just been a real good impact on my education and my desire to continue learning as well. Yeah, I think the point of this program and the reason I get to put this on as an additional duty and it's an official goal of the Army is that spiritual readiness affects soldiers. Um, it affects our our capacity to be in community, to be mentally ready, to be put together as the person we want to be. And the reality is it's very hard to live a Jewish life without living a communal life. So having any sort of a Jewish community around, I think it makes a huge difference in people's spiritual health, even if it's just the checkup with everybody and getting to see other Jewish faces, knowing that they're not experiencing these things alone, I think is really powerful. I, I think we, we saw that in particular, we have a British soldier who just joined uh, our sort of congregation here. They kind of arrived after us and he's been in a a formation with no Jewish services, no Jewish options for the last, since he's joined, just not anyone's fault. Yeah, he said for five years, no other Jewish service members in his formation, no kind of services facilitate for him. Not because the British army doesn't want to support it. They just don't have that community. So I think it's been a real joy to be able to include him in our community and seeing that impact on him, I think has been really good. And also, his chaplain has been amazing and facilitated getting him to our services and, and integrating him, which I want to bring up again, is uh, how amazing the chaplains are at supporting us. But it, it makes a difference. It makes a difference in morale. It makes a difference in community life. Like being a Jew alone for five years, you could see how much joy came to his eyes just knowing that there were other people wanting to share these experiences. That's incredible. I'll tell you, the, the reason I wanted to have you on, and I want to thank you for your, your service for this country and and what you're doing for our fellow Jews. And I wanted to share this with a broader audience of Jews, because like I said in the beginning, a lot of people who don't know how to look at world events through the lens of Torah are so discombobulated. And if you guys there in a situation that's not as conducive for Jewish spiritual life, are getting together and finding ways of experiencing this connection to their Torah, to Hashem, each other, then I think it will inspire, like it does me, those who have more availability to them to go out and begin to, to do these things and, and see the enrichment it can bring to their life and the sanity it brings to the, the world around us to some degree. Is there anything else that you would like to share with the, the listening audience here? No, I, I want to thank you for your support as well. And we, we appreciate the opportunity to talk about the good work we've been doing. I think it's important that the Jewish community in the United States knows that we have leadership here who 
really believes in an interpretation of the First Amendment that's inclusive to religious diversity and lives up to the sort of American values that are important to us as Jewish people, equality under the law, and uh, equal protection and opportunity to express our freedom of religion. And I can't speak enough to full bird kernels all the way down. We've had pretty much absolute support in all of our religious practices, accommodating time to let us go do these things, facilitating and approving a risk was a, like a commander's accept risk and they accepted a, a, a pretty significant amount of risk letting us you know cross international borders uh, on our own accord to practice our religion and they went out of their way to facilitate our success so I, I think that's really important I also want to bring up uh, an idea I've been sort of uh, mulling about with uh, for other Jewish service members so the, there are only nine basic training locations in the United States for armed service members. That includes Army, Air Force. And one of the things that's been really hard is we don't have a great system to support all Jewish service members. Like I said, we have a very limited amount of Jewish chaplains who do their best, but uh, have these other obligations. And I would really like in the future to see a network of Jewish community leaders support uh, these basic training locations with volunteers or educators to come in and sort of begin building on. I know uh, I've been in talks with Texas Hillel. We're very lucky that their former director's husband is an army major and she very much understands what we do. But some of those programs that they've come up with are very oriented to the university service member. So that's only army officers. We're 2% of the armed forces as officers. We got to service our enlisted soldiers and give them the toolbox to kind of model a program of what we're doing here. So I, I really think it's something to think about in the community and something I want to keep advocating for is the idea of finding some uh, part-time Jewish professionals to go into these basic training locations like in San Antonio and start getting the names, getting a roster, building a list uh, of Jewish service members. So in five or 10 years, we can build pocket communities anywhere there's an army post. I think it's a really important idea to support the enlisted Jewish service members in our country. And for the cost, there's only nine of them. You pay for the half day. I mean, they do services on Sunday because it's basic training and that's how it is. But Right. The half day work, we could have a very huge impact on what is approximately a ten thousand Jewish Jewish people and Jewish service members. So it's a program I would really like to see started in the in the coming years. That is a great idea. Definitely, I would assume a very underserved market. Of course, you have the Rabbi Treps out in the college campuses, but you're right. There's no one really out there in the the military bases in the in the training camps to help Jews there as well. It's a great idea. I would love to talk with you more about that. I don't know when the, whenever you get your first leave and come back here to Houston, you know, please look me up. I would love to get together and talk to you about that. It's a great cause. Salma, it's always great to see you. I am just so proud of my nephew. He's always been a fighter from day one, whatever he's involved with. And he's always been an inspiration to me. Both you gentlemen are, and I know to everyone listening, Again, thank you for your service and everything you're doing for the Jewish people in the United States of America. We really appreciate you reaching out and having us on. Dan. Honor. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for Jill. your time. We really appreciate it. Beautiful. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking donate in the top right corner of the page.